Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Colts Convert Podcast. Today, we are going through part two of my wide receiver breakdown for the 2020 NFL Draft. For those of you who do not tune in to part one, I did break down some receivers who I felt would be good fits for the Colts, especially on day two of the draft, rounds two and three. So I highly recommend going back at a later time and checking that out. But today, I am going to do the second part of that breakdown, looking at receivers who, in my opinion, will be available around that day three range. The end of day two, which is round three, and then throughout round uh, day three, which is rounds four through seven. So about 12 guys that I think will be in that four to seventh round range and good fits for the Colts as they look to add receiver depth and some receivers that they can hopefully improve that that receiving core, not only for 2020, but looking forward for the future of that position. As I've mentioned many times throughout these episodes, this year's receivers class for the 2020 draft class is a very, very impressive group from top to bottom. I did not go through some of the top receivers during part one because most likely receivers like Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, Justin Jefferson, some of those receivers will most likely not be available for the Colts to select when they are first on the board at pick 34, which is the second pick of the second round. But still, when you look at the top of that receivers class with Judy and Lamb especially, and then you go all the way down to to the fourth or fifth tier of this class, it is still a very solid class where most likely players that are going to be selected in the fifth, sixth round are going or or have fourth, sometimes even third round evaluations from people, not just myself, but draft evaluators, GMs, people who look at these receivers as being third, fourth round talents that will be drafted in the fifth and sixth round just because of how many of these receivers there are. So a very talented group, and I'm excited to get a little deeper into this receiver class and go through a few guys that I think are are very intriguing. I'm not going to go through every receiver. There will be some receivers that I do not go over today that will still be good players in the league, that will still be solid additions for teams. But I wanted to really focus on guys that may not be getting a lot of attention right now for whatever reason, most likely because they played at a smaller school or were a third, fourth option on on their team at a bigger school. But I wanted to touch upon a few guys that I think have maybe gotten a little overlooked during this process or dropped maybe for not testing as well at the combine, but I think are still solid players 
that have potential to be great contributors to a team uh, once, once they get into the NFL. So first person I'm going to start with is Brian Edwards, receiver for South Carolina, 6'3", 212. Last season had 71 catches, 816 yards, and six touchdowns. That was through 10 games, and he did struggle with some injuries last year and throughout his career at South Carolina, and that's kind of where I will start because he was preparing for the combine, and he ended up breaking his foot while training for the combine, and I think this was in January or February, so he was not able to run at the combine and participate in the drills, and, but he, sh- he is recovering and should be fully recovered by May, June, and should be ready in time for training camp and the season. But it was unfortunate that he had to miss the training at the combine because I think that would have solidified him as probably a late second or third round pick, definitely a third round pick, but because he did not get a chance to perform in front of the scouts at the combine, I think that will drop him down a little bit in this draft, probably looking more at end of third round, fourth round player, but a very talented receiver, productive receiver, and has that combination of size and athleticism that you really can't teach and that NFL evaluators, they dream of guys like this big body with athleticism, can make plays, and that's what he did at South Carolina. Very strong hands, and that's a big part of his game is just his strength. Even if a defender was on him, he was still coming up with the ball. Very strong lower body, allowed him to break tackles. Looked like he was almost a pinball out at times, bouncing off the defenders. And I think that is his main strength, is his ability to shed tackles and be able to create plays off of a broken tackle. It's hard to get this guy down, and I think that's going to be his main strength moving forward is catching the ball, breaking the tackle, and getting extra yardage because of that ability. He is, in my opinion, he's more quick than fast. He does have agility and quick bursts side to side. But as far as some things that that he can work on, uh, it doesn't seem like he has a lot of breakaway speed. Just looking at the film, that deep speed, that separation, that does help receivers to create more plays and to kind of be that game-breaking receiver. Uh, He lacks that deep speed and that acceleration that you need to, to be a legitimate deep ball threat. And he also, I think he can definitely improve on his route running. He wasn't asked to do a lot of 
route running at South Carolina as far as a diversity of routes. And I think that's something that he can definitely improve on moving forward into the NFL, just becoming a better technician and just working on a lot of his uh, route tree. But overall, I, I really like Edwards. I think he's going to be a solid player in the league and a great pickup for whoever gets him. Like I mentioned, I'm thinking probably third or fourth round because of his injuries and just with everything going on with the coronavirus teams have not been able to evaluate players at pro days and bring them in for physicals. So some of these guys who are injured right now, it, it is tough for teams to get a read on how they're recovering and the extent of the injuries. So I think that may hurt someone like Edwards who is dealing with an injury currently. And I think he'll be fine once the season gets going and I think he'll be ready for the season. That will probably affect his draft stock. But at the same time, someone is going to get a great value out of Edwards probably in the third or fourth round. So definitely keep an eye on Edwards. I think he'll be able to stick on the outside. He has that athleticism that you want at the outside. Kind of reminds me of a Braylon Edwards type player. Big body, can go up and get the ball, break tackles. I think he's going to be very productive at the next level. And then moving on, another big physical receiver, athletic receiver, Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty University. And yes, Liberty does have a football team. I believe they moved to Division 1A in 2018. And Golden has been on this team for his whole career. And a guy who may not have heard of Leading up to this point, I think I started hearing about him in the middle of the season. And he was starting to catch people's attention with his size. He's 6'4", 223. And he's just a, a physical specimen. Had 79 catches for around 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns at Liberty this season. Put up uh, 22 on the bench press at the combine. He did run a 4.6, which is not great, but it's also not horrible either, especially for his size. And he did jump 36 inches in the vertical. So similar to Edwards, big body, athletic. Those are traits that NFL evaluators love. And they will draft guys like that all day just because of the potential that that those characteristics have at, to transfer at the next level. You can't teach height. You can't teach size. And just that combo of size and athleticism is what NFL teams love when they're evaluating these players. So from just that starting point, I think Golden is a very, he, he's a prospect that is definitely going to catch a lot of attention. I think because he played at the 
at the school that he did, Liberty, smaller school, not a well-known school. It is 1A, so they, they are playing at the FBS level now, but still a small school. The strength of schedule wasn't that great. Didn't play against the greatest competition. So I think that will lower him to probably the third round range. But this is a guy, if he played at an SEC school and had somewhat of that same production, you're looking at a first, second round type player just because of, of his attributes uh, and, and his ability to make plays with that size. So some of the other things that I liked about Golden, he he had more breakaway speed to me on his film than he showed at the combine with that 4640. He he does have I think the ability to separate and to make plays downfield. So that was nice to see that it looked like he was a little faster than that 46. And from his 2018 to 2019 performance, he did improve his hands and he he decreased his drops and just some of those focus drops that you see at times from these receivers, he he really improved on his catching heading into that 2019 season, which is always great when you can see improvement from season to season. It tells you that a player is willing to work hard during the offseason to focus on their weaknesses and to turn those weaknesses into strengths. So it's always great, especially a guy with the, the physical tools who – compared to other players, may not need to work as hard because he can, he can get away with his physical traits. When you see a guy who has the physical traits who is working hard and willing to improve during the offseason to get better, that is a, a great sign and definitely something that you want to look forward and gives you hope that they can continue to get better once they move on to the next level. So I, I definitely love to see that. Uh, some of the things I, th I think Golden could work on is just using his hands better, just that size, that strength. I would like to see him being more physical at the point of attack with his hands, especially getting off the press. And, you know, I, I think he just has that ability with the strength. He showed it at the combine, 22 on the bench press. Obviously, uh, you know, almost 230 pounds, big guy. I think he can manhandle people if he really just uses his hands better and is able to focus on just attacking DBs uh, off the line and off a of press. I think he can manhandle cornerbacks at the next level. And then the because of that bigger body, he does lack some of the side-to-side -side quickness that you would like to see and the quick burst to accelerate out of his routes. He can add that agility at the next level, and he could add some more routes to his game just to round out his his overall game. Another guy who is definitely, in my opinion, going to stay on the outside. He can handle playing on the outside, and I'm, I'm really excited to see Gandy Golden at the next level and see how he reacts to a step up in competition and athleticism. 
playing at the highest level of football now. I can't wait to see how he reacts, but I, you know, I think he's going to react very well and, and be a great value for a team probably in the third round. When you look at the Colts and their strategy, I, I feel that they should draft someone in the second round, uh, one of these receivers that I covered in part one, and just get that need out of the way in round two because they do have two second-round picks. But I'm not sure where they're going to go with their receiver strategy. From free agency, it doesn't seem like that's the highest priority for them right now. And there have been teams over the last decade that have shown that you don't need a top uh, five receiver to win games, to be competitive, and eventually win a Super Bowl. So I'm not sure what strategy that Chris Ballard in the front office is going to be taking when it comes to receivers in the future. I don't know if, if they prioritize that position as much as maybe O-line, D-line, uh, and you know maybe some more defensive positions like the cornerback position. But if they decide to wait to draft a receiver and fill other needs in that second round, you start to see how deep this class is. They can still wait to the third, fourth round and pick up a receiver like an Antonio Gandy-Golden, which I would be totally fine with. Uh, I, you know, Obviously, I would want them to get one of those receivers, just kind of get it out of the way in the second round, but I would not be disappointed if they waited to the third round and picked up someone like Golden because it, it just shows you how deep this class is when you can get a, a receiver of this caliber in the third, fourth round. And then... Speaking a, a receive, speaking of receivers of high caliber, the next receiver that I'm going over is one of my favorites in this class, Van Jefferson of Florida. I mentioned Pittman, Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, out of USC being my favorite receiver of this receiver draft class. The second favorite receiver on my list is probably Van Jefferson. He is very very impressive as an overall receiver. I'm just going to say the best technician, the best receiver technique in the whole draft. I know Jerry Judy's a great route runner. I know he's definitely uh, most people's pick for that, that best overall receiver. But man, Van Jefferson is very impressive as a receiver. His dad played in the NFL for, I believe, 13 year, years as a receiver. So he grew up learning the position. And you could tell when you watched the film. He didn't have the production that you would see from most of these guys, especially when you're talking about some of the guys who will be considered a second and first round pick, which is why I think he will drop a little bit. But he did have around 50 catches, 650 yards, and six touchdowns for Florida last season, and he led Florida in receiving the last two seasons. He started out at Ole Miss in the beginning of his college career and ended up transferring to Florida. But someone, uh, even though those numbers might not be as high, I think that was more because of the offense that Florida ran. Uh, they, they are more of a balanced attack that balanced the run and passing game. So being the leading receiver at Florida with 50 catches, I think that kind of just shows you that 
they, they're a little bit more focused than most teams these days of having that balanced attack and including the running game in that as well. Play against high competition, obviously, going uh, playing in the SEC, going up against very quality SEC competition for his whole career. And so as I mentioned, just kind of getting into some more of the details of why I like Jefferson. He is a very polished route runner and just knows all the tricks of the trade of the receiver position. Stacking on top of DBs after getting off of press coverage, uh, his, his get-offs in all types of press coverage, off-man, uh, you know, man, whatever the case was, he knows how to get off of, of press. And he could be used on all three levels. He doesn't have the game-breaking speed that is going to elevate him into that next tier and, and be a, a, you know, a first, second-round pick. And he's not going to be super flashy with his athleticism and his speed. But he still has the athleticism to affect you on all three levels with the short passing game, definitely the intermediate passing game, which I believe is his greatest strength, being able to run comebacks and uh, back shoulder fades, curls. And then he can also run the deep routes and affect you on that deep level as well because of his ability to stack DBs and to just create separation in other ways. So I, I, I think he definitely will be able to have that effect on all three passing levels at, at the next level. And then, as I mentioned, did play against very solid SEC competition, and he performed. The game that I, if, if you look at one game of Jefferson, just to see how special he is as a receiver, check out the game against LSU from this last season. Obviously, LSU, they were undefeated, won the national championship. Great defense, some very talented DBs. When you talk about uh, Fulton, who will be a most likely a first-round pick, uh, at the very least, a second round pick this year's in this year's draft, and then Derek Stingley Jr., who was a true freshman this past season and was one of the top cornerbacks. Period out of the whole country, not just freshman cornerbacks, but he was one of the, if not the best corner this last year as a true freshman. So very talented DBs. And Jefferson went toe-to-toe with both of them. It was such a fun film to watch because I think that's about as close as Jefferson was going to get to NFL-type talent. And just seeing him battle and just stepping up to the occasion, he he went toe-to-toe with Stingley. And I, I think he, he really you could see the senior versus the freshman in that case. Stingley obviously has a lot of great traits. He will be the kind of the Jeff Okuda of his draft class, and I think he will eventually be a top 10 pick, if not higher than that. But in that particular game against Jefferson, you could tell where he didn't quite have some of the 
the tricks of the trade yet because Jefferson, time after time, just exposed them on these different routes. He set them up on back shoulder fades. And when he ran enough back shoulder fades, he turned the back shoulder fade into a fake and ended up faking into a slant and running that and just having all of these setups that he would just create throughout the whole game that he used against Stingley and Fulton. He performed against both of them very well. And um, I, I was just very impressed with how he stepped. He did have a touchdown in that game um, and a lot of catches. And that gave me a lot of hope for his ability to go against top athletes at the next level. Uh, as far as some of the things I think he can work on is his physicality. He has the moves, but I think he could get more physical on his press releases and use his hands better. Also, he does need to work on his acceleration. He kind of has one gear, and he doesn't have that explosiveness that is going to worry a lot of top-level cornerbacks, especially who have great speed. Most of the cornerbacks in the NFL level, they can fly. I mean, they're very fast, and they can recover from move, double moves. And even if they may get beat on a double move, they still have that recovery speed to catch up. And I don't think Jefferson, as of now, has that acceleration to separate from some of those top DBs. So I think that's one thing. If he can focus on that and just really work on that acceleration and just adding that extra gear, that would be that would take him to that next tier of, of receivers as far as this class is concerned. And then because he was just so good at a couple different moves, I think he got a little used to just using the same moves and just knowing that he can beat guys on it. So I would like him to add a few more moves, especially his uh, moves off the line, beating press coverage, different setups that he had on routes. I think he could add more to that arsenal just so he's not predictable once he goes to the next level. Because again, that level steps up and corners and DBs, they are so good at being able to pick up patterns. So just having that variety of moves that he could use to throw DBs off their game and to, to be less predictable, I think that's just going to be better for him. But um, besides that, I think another thing is just I would like him to uh, be more involved in the blocking game and, and just add that to his game as well. You, you want to see a receiver who's physical, who's willing to block, and I think he could definitely improve that part of his game. But overall, I was very impressed with Jefferson. I, I think he is one of the overall best receivers in this draft. And I haven't heard too much about him in this process from evaluators as far as being considered in that second, even third round range. So I think this is a guy who will be there in the fourth round. Uh, that, that's kind of what I'm thinking his average draft position will be right now. And again, I'm going to repeat this a lot throughout this episode 
that's just crazy. To get a receiver of this caliber in the fourth round, it, it that's why I would not be disappointed if the Colts waited until these middle rounds to get a receiver because there's going to be some very quality talent still. And Van Jefferson is one of those guys. Moving on here, another solid overall player is Tyler Johnson of Minnesota. 6'1", 206 pounds, and he had a great season last year for Minnesota. A great career, but especially this last season, Minnesota had a great season overall. I think they were 11-2 this season. So you got to see Minnesota on a national level because of how well they played. And because they were on the national level, Tyler Johnson was on the national level more. So I, I think the country got to see how talented this guy is, especially this last season. And similar to Jefferson, he can beat you on all three levels. He's very smooth. He's athletic, former star basketball player in high school. And he, he can do it all. Very aggressive at the point of attack, goes up and gets the football. And he's really, really good at working in space. He can play the slot. He can play the outside. I think his strength at the next level in his main position will be working in the slot. He kind of reminded me of Julian Edelman. And I know the Colts fans, I'm sure, don't like me mentioning Patriots, but his ability to get in space and then catching the ball and getting upfield, making a guy miss and getting that yak yardage. That kind of reminded me a little bit of Edelman's ability to do that from the slot. Some of the things I, I think he could work on is just getting uh, better at stacking DBs downfield. Once he does beat them, he had a tendency on his deep routes to fade toward the sideline instead, and get, instead of getting back on top of the DB and creating that positioning that makes it tough for a DB to, to make plays. Um, I think just fine-tuning some of his technique off of press can also be something that he could work on and just working on his footwork. He, that's why I think he's probably more suited for a slot role, just so he doesn't have to run the precise routes that you need on the outside. Um, he, he, I think he can definitely become more efficient at his footwork and breaking down routes such as his comeback and curls. But he did show on film that he can play the outside and the inside. I just think he would be a great fit for an inside receiver, especially at his size, 6'1", 206. It's, it's a bigger slot, but he still has that quickness and the, the ability to work in space that solid slots have at the next level. Tyler Johnson, another guy. Third, fourth round, probably. Solid production at the college level. I think he will continue that at the NFL level. Devin Duvernay of Texas is the next receiver that I'm going to cover here. 5'10", 200 pounds. He put on a show at the combine, 4'3", 940. Show his explosiveness and speed. And his senior year at Texas, he led the nation in catches. 106 catches, 
for almost 1,400 yards, nine touchdowns. So he had a great season at Texas with his production. And then he added on top of that a great combine showing with a sub 4440. Always is, that's going to open scouts' eyes. And if they didn't really do a lot of homework on Duvernay, they definitely did their homework after that 40. And then when they did their homework and looked at the film, they probably saw a very productive receiver because he had a great last year at Texas against quality competition in the Big 12. And I, I know I mentioned this last time with uh, Mims at Baylor. Big 12 is a high-flying conference. They're scoring a lot of points. So maybe the defenses weren't as great, but you're still going against top talent in that conference. So his pros, of course, with that speed is going to be the deep ball. Just game-breaking speed. And he, he has that separation that you can just kind of tell. He has that game-breaking separation that will make him a very successful deep ball receiver at the next level. And for his size at 5'10", he does have surprising strength. Uh, and his uh, contested catch ability is very impressive for someone at that, uh, that height, 5'10". He goes up and gets the ball, and with his strength, he's able to battle against some bigger DBs and still come down with the catch. So I was very impressed with that, that strength from Duvernay and he did show his ability to work in the slot and the outside I think with his speed on the outside he can stay on the outside and then he could also be a game breaker in the slot as well you can move him around uh, you can I think you can hand him uh, you know, fly sweeps and and different things just to get the ball in his hands so so he can get going and, and use that game breaking athleticism and speed and, you know, kind of as I mentioned, just his ability to just get the ball in his hands. It didn't matter if you, you put him on a crossing route that was two yards or if you send him on a deep route. He still has that ability to, to score a touchdown from anywhere. So that's, that's always a great trait for a receiver is to be able to take a screen and take that 80 yards for a touchdown. He was one of the better receivers that I saw with that type of ability. Some of the, the improvements, I think just rounding out his intermediate game, he at times I think just depended on his speed a little too much. I think he can work on his intermediate routes, his digs, his comebacks, just to round out and just become a a true three-level receiver. And then at times, especially on his crossing routes, he did have trouble staying in a straight line on his crossing routes and tended to fade at times, which is just a technique that you need to fix at the next level. DBs will, will jump balls because a receiver is not staying on a straight line as they tend to fade that just means that it's going to take that much longer for the ball to get there so if you're staying on a straight line if, if you're giving your quarterback less of a distance to throw that ball it's just going to mean less times that a db has to to jump a route so just the fine tunes the details of route running 
it, it comes into play a lot more at the NFL level. So I, I think he could definitely work on just fine-tuning some of those things. But DuVernay, he's a game-breaker. He's a guy you want on your offense who can stretch the defense, who can make a play. When you're in desperate need, you, you need to move the ball down the field. You need, need a big play. He's going to make those types of huge game-breaking plays for you. And, you know, I, I love his potential as that type of threat. And then Gabriel Davis is the next guy I'm going to look at. UCF, 6'2", 216. He did run at the combine, uh, 4, 5'4", 40, 35-inch uh, vertical. And he did have a solid overall career at UCF, but he had a breakout season this year with 72 catches, over 1,200 yards, and 12 touchdowns. And just any year, that's very impressive. But considering that UCF lost their star quarterback in Mackenzie Milton for this season, it was impressive that Davis was still able to have the season that he had, uh, even though he lost his quarterback for the whole season. And this is a guy that just just makes it look easy. Very smooth athlete, and he just shows that on film. But he is a competitor. And he was used mostly just from his yards per catch, average, I think over 17 yards per catch, the 12 touchdowns. It just kind of shows you the type of deep threat that he was. And, and he was used primarily as kind of that uh, that type of deep ball, big play receiver. and But he just made it look easy. Uh, no matter how difficult it really may have been, he, he makes deep balls just, just very smooth. And just a long strider, glides across the field. And just his ability to go up and get the ball, very impressive catch radius. One of the better catch radiuses that I've seen just long arms and just is able to high point the football in all situations. It didn't matter if it was a deep ball. It didn't matter if it was a come comeback. If the ball was a little higher, he had no problem going up and high pointing the football. And he just had that it factor. When I watched the film, he just kind of had that, that swagger, that confidence that you want from your receiver. He wasn't afraid to go after a DB. Um, and he, he just kind of had that those traits that are kind of hard to describe, but you just watch somebody, you see that they have the confidence, and that's what you want from your top receiver. And he did have the ability to work in the slot as well. I think he will be a outside receiver, but I did see him on the film at times working in the slot, so it's nice to see receivers with that versatility. His main... Uh, weaknesses, things that I think he can work on is just his acceleration. He didn't quite have that game-breaking speed to me from what I saw on the film. He didn't have that game-breaking speed and acceleration to be just primarily a deep ball guy at the next level. I did. I mentioned DuVernay previously. DuVernay had that type of game-breaking speed where he could be primarily a deep ball guy Davis doesn't quite have that ability to just be 
focus primarily on a deep ball guy. I think it was someone just who, who doesn't have that separation, who faster DBs will be able to keep up with um, if, if he just focuses on that and doesn't polish his overall game. I think he needs to be a better route runner. I think he needs to work more on the individual or the intermediate levels, uh, work, working on some of those those intermediate routes and just kind of polishing his game to be a more overall receiver so he's not relying too much on that deep ball because I, I don't think he'll be able to rely on that as much as he did at UCF. He, he will not be able to use that same type of style at the next level. But just watching some of his, his routes, I was impressed with his ability to come back to the football on his curl routes, especially. He, he did a great job working back to the ball, has good footwork off the line. So there are those fundamental foundational things that Davis does have that makes me think that he will be able to continue to improve as an overall receiver and add those strengths to his game to where he could be productive and not rely so much on that deep ball and, and still be a solid receiver. So Davis was one of the more intriguing guys that I saw. Um, I, I think he'll be a solid player. He, he does have that size athleticism combo that I mentioned with some of those other guys like a Edwards and a Gandy. But I think in this case, being 216, I think he can trim down a little bit, maybe be a playing weight around 210, uh, somewhere around that range. I, I think he could lean up just a little bit, just add maybe a little bit more explosiveness and speed to his game. I think that would help him a lot uh, to kind of add some more of that acceleration and that separation speed. But another guy that just adds to the depth of this class. And I, I think he has a chance to be a solid number two receiver for an NFL team in the future. And then moving to the next receiver is Isaiah Hodgkins, um, Oregon State receiver. This is a guy I, I wasn't too familiar with, to be honest, and kind of disappointed myself once I watched the film because this guy can play. I mean, this this guy had a great season uh, at Oregon State, made a lot of plays. And what I put on the film, it was just time after time, he was making plays. And he has that size, 6'4", 210, decent forward. He ran a 4'6", at the combine. So again, uh, pretty average for a receiver. But with that, that height, that size, it's not bad. 36 and a half vertical. And what stood out to me, kind of his asterisks for his combine numbers, was his 412 shuttle at the 20 yard, uh, 20 yard shuttle, which I was a little surprised at because that was one of the top times out of the receivers who participated in the combine. And it's it's rare, at least for, from what I've seen, to see a guy at 6'4" to be up in the, the upper echelon of the agility drills at the combine. It's usually the slots, the, the smaller, quicker guys who are taking over that those types of drills. But to see that he performed well in, in that shuttle drill 
it, it did make me think that, that he has that agility, that quickness that you need to, to be an efficient route runner at the next level. So just some of his strengths. I mean, he has that prototypical receiver frame, and his, his jumping ability just adds to that size, especially in the red zone. And I just really liked that combination of him having the size and having the athletic ability, but he balances that very well, just being a very crafty receiver. His intermediate level game, uh, just running dig routes, comebacks, curls, his inter intermediate level style, that's his biggest strength, in my opinion. I think that's where he shines. And he just has a very good awareness of route running and working in space. Uh, coming back to the ball, I mean, he does all of those things very well. So that was a huge plus for me just to see someone with that athleticism, athleticism and size running those types of routes. It just separates you when you head to the next level if you can do those types of things. And he uses his hands very well, great length, obviously with that 6'4 frame, great length, and he's able to, to use his hands and that length to create that separation that you need from DBs and just catching the ball away from his body. And the main things that Hodgkins, I think, needs to work on is his strength. I, I think that is the main thing that hit, uh, hinders his ability to create better positioning on his routes. Sometimes he got bullied off of his routes, just kind of had that lack of strength. And it just allowed a DB to either catch up or throw him off of his routes, especially on his go routes. You can see him being kind of pushed toward the sideline and just not really having that strength to stay online and to battle with the DB downfield and create and maintain positioning. So I think that's the main thing that he can work on moving forward. And just being more active on the line during press releases, just being more active with his hands, I, I think that and he can also just add to his arsenal of get-off moves. I, I was seeing some of the same, just the repetitive uh, nature of his get-off moves. Uh, as I mentioned before, just those DBs at the next level, they're very well predicting things. If you're doing something over and over again, they're just going to know what's coming. So just being able to add to his get-off moves in particular I think that will that will be a a main thing that he can work on that he can that could really help him out something that he can put the time into with that and improve on that tremendously and that, that's going to help him be more effective. But you know I'm I'm probably going to say this every, for every guy from now on a guy like this should not be drafted in the 4th or 5th round he will probably be drafted in the fourth or fifth round. And if you're a team that comes away with a guy like this in the fifth round, more power to you. I mean, it's just great that there are going to be these types of receivers still available deeper into the draft, uh, especially on day three. So this was a guy that really stood out to me. I think he's going to have a solid career. He kind of reminded me of an Austin Pettis former Boise State receiver, just kind of that size and savviness combination that it's rare, it's rare to find for someone that athleticism to be that crafty and still have the, the type of uh, height 
athleticism, jumping, the red zone threat, but also being that intermediate threat as well. So I think Hodgkins is going to be a very legitimate receiver, just like Davis. And I, I don't think he's going to be a number one guy, but he could be. He could play in the league for ten plus years if he wants to. Uh, being a, a solid number two receiver, in my opinion. I think he'll be that type of receiver. And then Tristan Jackson is the next guy that I wanted to cover. Another guy I was kind of disappointed in myself that I, I didn't really know too much about, uh, even though he did play at Syracuse ACC school. So it, it wasn't like it was the smallest school, I, but he – had a, another guy that just very productive career uh, and a, a very good season at Syracuse. And I nicknamed him, just watching his film, the smooth criminal, just a long strider, but eats up ground very quickly. I mean, if you're a DB, those types of guys, it just doesn't really look like he's moving that fast. And then before you know it, he's by you. And he has the ability to separate. He can, he was, very capable of turning short situations as far as crossing routes and screens. He took a couple of those to the house for 80 yards. He has that res that ability to separate, even though it doesn't really seem like that on film. Just very smooth, but he he is explosive uh, in that sense of being able to to turn screens and crossing routes into big plays. And he was he was polished. You know, I, I love the way he stacked DBs on deep routes, getting back on the line. He he just showed a lot of maturity for being a receiver. Uh, just just having that maturity, uh, as just being able to have that all around game, and just his technique was very impressive to me. Um, and. As far as just some of the things that I can tell, just some of the things that he may need to work on, uh, he was a little bit too much of a body catcher for, for my taste. I mentioned in part one, you know, I'm a very big fan of extending the arms, plucking the football, and that's one of the first things that I try to check off when, when evaluating a receiver is are they able to go out and extend their arms and snatch the football away from their body. I know it's it's not something that you're going to be able to do every time. I mean, you talk about some of the best receivers of all time. Michael Irvin, Chris Carter. I mean, these guys, they could do it all. They obviously have that ability to extend and catch. But there's also times when you're going to need to you know, catch the ball with your body, to cradle the ball in. You're, you're going to catch the ball in a variety of ways. But as far as Jackson, I, I would like to see him catch it a little bit more with his hands extended. Uh, and I think that's something that he could work on, just being able to high point the football uh, on his contested catches. He did show his hands at times, especially when, when he was in those situations where the ball was away from him. He did show the, the ability to, to snatch the football. But I think that's something he can continue to work on, especially on those high point situations, being able to go up and, and get the ball. And then his strength, uh, I, I think he can get better, just being more physical, get in the weight room, get stronger. I think that'll just be better for him to 
work against these stronger DBs. In my opinion, I think he would be a great option for a a, a slot receiver to tra- transition into the slot position. And if he could work on his strength and just kind of have that ability to be physical with safeties and linebackers, I think he would be a great candidate to transition to the slot because uh, you know he has that ability to work in space and to separate that I think would be very effective in the slot position at the next level. Um, and he, he could work on his footwork, he could work on his routes, and that this kind of adds to why I think he would be may, maybe more suited for the slot. And just getting better at blocking. Didn't really attack defenders on his blocks from what I saw. I think he can get better of just being the aggressor on those blocking situations, that, that controlled aggression that you like to see from receivers who are really good at blocking. You can't be too aggressive. It's that fine line, but I would like to see Jackson being able to attack a DB more to seek out that physicality when blocking and just be having a little bit more of that controlled aggression on his blocks. But a, a guy, another intriguing guy, I think he's probably more suited for that transition to the slot, but someone who I think can be another productive receiver, probably more of a wide receiver three at the next level, but someone who I think would be a solid addition to a receiving core. And then Jawan Jennings is the next guy I wanted to cover from Tennessee. Went to the other UT, University of Tennessee. And this is one of those guys who I am very, very interested in and how he develops at the next level. Because this is a guy who was a a playmaker for Tennessee for his whole career there. They love him at UT. From everything that I saw, he was just a standout captain-type leader for their team and was the emotional leader on the team. And he had a great career at Tennessee, played some obviously some great competition in the SEC, Great size, 6'3", 215. And a guy in the beginning of this offseason, the the NFL draft offseason process, before this, kind of shortly after the season, kind of before things got going with the combine and some of these evaluations, he was a guy who I was seeing on certain evaluators' lists in the top 10 of their receivers' lists. In some cases, I think maybe seven or eight on some lists that I saw. And you're talking about a class like this. Any any class really being in the top 10 is impressive at any position, but especially for a class like this, that's saying a lot. If you're considered in the top 10, you're going to be a very, very solid receiver just considering how talented this group is. So that that was very intriguing to me, but went to the combine and he ran a 4.72, which we were going through it a little bit during part one. 4.72 is not a good 40 time for a receiver. It's 
below average, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a bad receiver at the next level if you run a 4-7. I covered how Keenan Allen, how Jarvis Landry, a couple guys who are very talented receivers, who are productive NFL receivers that ran 4-7s during their NFL draft process. So there are examples of guys who have ran 4-7s uh, and been productive receivers, but it's still, even though there are those examples, if you run a 4-7-2, your draft, draft stock is most likely going to go down if you're a receiver running that type of time. And then just to add insult to injury, 29 vertical, which is also below average. So he did not perform very well on, on the combine drills. So the first thing that I just, as far as just his strengths, just beginning to break down Jawan Jennings is throw out the combine numbers. This guy is a football player. He makes play after play. If you turn on the film, he just made every play you could imagine from the receiver position. This guy is a gamer. One of the biggest competitors that I saw on film just evaluating these receivers. I love the way this guy plays the game. He, You could tell he loves football. And this is just a guy who just is a football player. He's not an athlete. He's not going to win the combine. But if you put him on the field, He's going to perform. He's someone I want on my team. If, I, if I'm one of his teammates, I love this guy because of how he performs, especially when the lights are bright. He performed at that SEC level. He can make plays. When it's all said and done, I don't really care about his 40 time uh, because what I saw on film was very impressive. And he's, he was one of the best contested catchers that I saw. You know, despite that 29-inch vertical, which kind of adds to what I was talking about, just his will, his want-to, he had below-average athleticism, but he continued to come up with these plays, these contested plays, jump balls. He would, time after time, come up with these plays and just kind of, how is this guy doing this? He, you know, and he had this 29-inch vertical. He had 4-7, but he just continued to make play after play. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with his strength. Tremendous lower body strength. I think him and Brian Edwards were probably two of the better. And of course, CeeDee Lamb. <laughs> CeeDee Lamb's kind of in another dimension when it comes to lower body strength and being able to break tackles. But Jennings was one of the guys that I think had that ability as well, just to make explosive cuts, side to side explosive cuts, and uh, according to Pro Football Focus, this last season, he actually led the nation in broken tackles. And so that, that made perfect sense. Just watching the film, when I found that out, it all just kind of came together. That, yeah, this, this guy is very strong. He's got to break tackles. Uh, and, and that's just going to allow him to not just be that possession receiver, but to extend the play, to make, make more yardage. Uh, after catch. Uh, and then this, the things that I saw, just kind of things that are kind of uh, holding him back. He does have tight hips. He's not the most agile receiver. And that hurts his route running. 
just his ability to sink the hips, to break down on his routes. I think that limits him a lot, and I think that will limit his ability to play on the outside at the next level. I think his main position going forward will be a big slot, uh, just being able to work in space as a bigger slot, break tackles. He has that strength to be able to go against linebackers and safeties. But I think he would be a candidate. You know, he is 215 or at least measured 215 at the combine. So I, I think he's a candidate for someone to maybe put on 15, 20 pounds of just solid, solid weight and muscle and maybe be around 230 to 240 and maybe transition to a tight end. But at least a bigger slot to where he can kind of be that Jimmy Graham type player who can, you know, a, a receiver, a bigger receiver that can just eat you up from the slot, kind of that wide receiver that you can throw in there in the slot and he can just work in space. He can make catches. He can break tackles. And I think that's probably his best position moving forward is that bigger slot receiver. And so this is a guy I looked at and, I, you know, it was I was starting to see him as I'm, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning of this process, he was a guy I was seeing in the top 10 list. But because of his combine performance, he did not he, he dropped to the point where now I'm seeing him at the end of day three, sixth, seventh round. In some cases, I've seen evaluators who think that his best his uh most likely position is as a priority free agent. If this guy is a priority free agent, I'm not really sure what to think anymore about receivers, about just being productive at the college level, and just like what I know about receivers, because this guy does not look like a priority free agent to me. He doesn't look like a sixth or seventh rounder either. I think he should just be, be given a, a shot as a fifth, probably a fifth round receiver at the latest but I I just if he's a sixth or seventh rounder I kind of get that just with how deep this receiving class is and he just didn't show that athleticism uh, at the combine so I can get how he would drop to a sixth or seventh rounder but I don't think by any means he should be a, a priority free agent and when you're looking at it from the Colts perspective this is a guy who I would probably just draft if he's still on the board at that Six second six round pick, I would probably just draft him just so he doesn't end up being in that free agent pool because he is he, he did go to Tennessee, he's from Tennessee. If he becomes a priority free agent, he's probably going to be a Tennessee Titan. Uh, they're, they're probably going to pick him up, he's probably going to want to stay home, and he's going to end up trying to make the team with the Titans. Uh, so, this is a guy who just competes on the football field. He did go to the Senior Bowl and scored a touchdown in the Senior Bowl. He's shown that he can prove he can play against some of the best athletes in the SEC. So I, I think a team would be crazy not to give this guy a chance as a at least a, uh, at the latest sixth, seventh round pick. But a guy I, I was just very surprised when I actually started to dig into his film. Just impressed with how productive he was. And then it just kind of adds to it when you just see that he, he didn't really have the physical tools that some of these guys, they, they kind of rely on too much at times. 
And it's it's even more impressive when you have a guy who's below average as far as his speed and some of these drills, these combine drills, he's below average at, but he still makes plays and is productive. That is even more that is even more impressive to me uh, for receivers like that who were still able to just make play after play. It just shows you his ability to just be a football player. Just and just to find other ways to be successful, to use his strength, to use his savviness, finding space, running routes, and to just come up with the ball, even though he might not be the best athlete on the field. That definitely checked the box for me as far as Jennings. He he turned into one of my favorite receivers just through this whole evaluation process. Um, I, I really like his potential to be a steal sixth, seventh round, and eventually just transition to a bigger slot. I think he'll be a, a very productive receiver in that type of position. And then going with a smaller school guy for the next receiver, Omar Bayless from Arkansas State. And it's a guy also just kind of started to learn about in this whole evaluation process in the offseason. Guy who just had a fantastic season this last year, one of the best receivers in the nation this year for Arkansas State. Had over 1,600 yards receiving and 17 touchdowns, which I think was the nation, the top in the nation at 17 touchdowns. Just tremendous production at Arkansas State. They are D1A, so he did play against FBS comp, uh, competition. Obviously not the greatest competition um, in that division. I believe it was the, the Sun Belt. But still, Division One A competition did play Alabama, and I, I think played Georgia in non-conference schedule play uh, throughout his career at Arkansas State. So he did have some exposure to some higher-level college play. But I, I don't care if you do that at the Division Three level, Division Two level. If you're putting up those types of numbers, that that's definitely going to stand out and you deserve to be looked at as a legitimate prospect at the next level. Uh, as far as his combine numbers, he had a around average, slightly below average 40 with a 46240, uh, but he did have a 36 inch vertical and he has that size 6'1", 212. Uh, with that type of vertical, it does transition very well to the next level. And just watching his film, he, he had just not only that unbelievable production, but he had some of the best highlight reel catches that you'll see from this year's draft class. A lot of one-handed catches, a lot of extending, leaping catches. This this guy can put on a show. Uh, I don't know if he necessarily has the best hands uh, of this draft class. He's definitely in that upper echelon of receivers with their hands, but he definitely put on some of the best highlight reel catches that I've seen out of the receivers in this 2020 draft class. And he just he has that craftiness. He he was a you know with the sixteen hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns. Obviously, that means that you're gonna have a lot of deep plays, a lot of plays downfield where you're making um, a lot of yardage. So he he had more of that that with uh, you know football 
people you hear a lot, just that cliche of he had football speed. He might not have that 4-4 speed, but you put the film on and he looks like he runs 4-4. He just he had that ability to separate. He seems faster than the 4-6 that he put uh, put on at the combine. And his savviness, his ability to track the ball and his ball skills just add to that overall package. Had some of the best tracking and ball skills that I saw from, from receivers uh, for this class. And he, he is a willing blocker, which I, which I like to see. He's, he's not afraid of going after corners and DBs and helping out his, whether it's running back or fellow receivers running slot route or running screens, he's willing to help his teammates out and block DBs and try to open up some space for his teammates. So I, I love to see him going after corners on blocks. And he did play in the slot before his senior year, mostly played outside his senior year, but I was watching some film of his junior season and he did play in the slot. So I think that will be something that he will do in the NFL as well. Uh, I think he'll, he'll just bounce around between an outside and a slot receiver. So that's always nice, again, to have that versatility as a receiver, to be able to be slotted in all around the field. Just gives yourself that much more um, versatility and increases your chances of getting on the field. And then just some of the cons, uh, you know, obviously that strength of schedule is a little bit of a question, just the competition that he played at. But, you know, he, he did have, as I mentioned, he did have some pretty good games against Georgia and Alabama. Um, it, it's kind of tough sometimes just to see the true level of uh, his true abilities against that type of competition because in those cases, the D-line for a team like Alabama going up against an Arkansas State or Georgia going up against an Arkansas State, those D-lines are usually a lot stronger, faster, and they tend to dominate O-lines uh, of that caliber. So the quarterback doesn't have a lot of time to throw, but Bayless still did have quite a few catches against those two top teams. So uh, it was nice to see him step up against quality competition. But the, it is still a question about whether he would be able to have production at the next level uh, once he goes against the, the best of the best. And then his agility and quickness is something that I think he can work on. This is side-to-side -side agility. Um, just be able to stop and start, accelerate out of breaks. I think he can work on all of that. And just his variety of routes, he tended to just take advantage of the fact that they could run the deep ball on, on some of these teams and just do it time and time again. So obviously they took advantage of that with those 17 touchdowns. I think he can add some more routes to his arsenal and just become more of a complete route runner. Uh, especially the comebacks and curl routes. And then he, he was a little predictable at times from what I saw on his get-offs and routes. He tended to rise up right before his break, especially on his, uh, especially on his slant routes. Very similar to a ball handler in basketball, kind of that tell that he's going to cross over, just rising up before crossing over a defender. He kind of had that same tendency to rise up out of his break just before he put his foot in the ground, 
and broke on a slant route. So those types of things, those types of tells, they start to become predictable. So you have to either figure out ways to add different variety to that tail or just staying lower and not rising up before that break because DBs will pick that st uh, stuff up, especially on slant routes. That's Those are the types of things that will lead to pick sixes and will not make your quarterback very happy if, if he's dealing with a, uh, a pick to the house because you were just becoming too predictable on your routes and the DB was able to jump your route. So I think that's something that he can clean up, but it is something that he can fix, and w which is uh, a positive to me, just the things that he needs to work on, I think can be fixed, just really just putting the time in in the off season, kind of cleaning up some of the technique that maybe he was able to get away with playing at uh, Arkansas State and not having quite the level of competition that maybe someone from the Big Ten or SEC would have had. So Bayless is another one of those guys, sixth, seventh round to keep an eye on. Solid career, solid, I mean, more than solid season this last year. One of the best receivers as far as production this last year in 2019. So a guy to definitely keep, on, keep an ear out for uh, as you're tuning into the draft. Uh, I expect Bayless to be drafted sometime at the end of that third day, most likely the sixth round. And then another guy, a smaller school, Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island, one double A school. And just another guy that just started to learn about in this process, just doing some research. His name kept on popping up as a receiver who just had a great year this last season. And I mean, who would have known that Rhode Island had two of the best receivers in the nation this last year. Aaron Parker was also another phenomenal receiver for Rhode Island and will be a draft prospect and most likely get drafted as well. And uh, Coulter and Parker are cousins. So you had cousins playing at Rhode Island who just dominated and both put up just fantastic seasons. I could have easily covered Parker. I'm not going to go too much in into detail on Aaron Parker. I think he's going to be a solid uh, option in that sixth, seventh round range as well for this year's draft. But Coulter kind of caught my attention a little bit more because I think Coulter has a higher ceiling. And when you talk about receivers in this sixth, seventh ra uh, round range now, I'm looking at guys that have that potential and that higher ceiling to where it will be a, a high risk, or uh, I'm sorry, it'll be a low risk because it's the seventh round, but a high reward if this guy hits. And Coulter is one of those guys where 6'2", almost 200 pounds, ran a 4'4'5 at the 40 with a 36-inch vertical. So he has that combination of size and athleticism and he put on a, a show at the combine which is one of the reasons he's starting to get more notoriety um, get more eyes on him because of the performance that he had with that 445 40 at 62 200 pounds so that all obviously is going to cause scouts and evaluators to go back and watch his film at Rhode Island and 
as far as his strengths, he just checks all the boxes that I mentioned when you talk about a high side develop high upside developmental receiver. And he has that projectable frame, still has some room to add muscle and add strength to that frame. And he's just a very athletic and smooth receiver. Plus catch radius, just uses his length to his advantage to high point the football, to use that 36 inch vertical and to be able to high point the ball on, on jump balls and just out jump DBs. Uh, so as far as that developmental type receiver that you're looking at to potentially turn into a monster, this is a guy that's one of those candidates of a low risk, high reward type guy that you're looking for as you get later into the, the sixth, seventh rounds. Uh, but because he is in that uh, kind of that developmental category for me as a receiver, he is very raw technically. He needs to polish his footwork and his routes, uh, but he has a decent foundation. He does, I think, have some of the fundamental skills that just al allow me to believe that he can he can really improve on just polishing his technique moving forward. And he has that wiry frame, so he does need to work on his strength, but he has the size already to where I think if he just gets in the weight room, if he really dedicates himself to getting stronger, I think he can accomplish that and just just really improve that much more as an athlete. And just having that strength, having that stronger foundation of his lower body, that would just help him to be able to work against DBs downfield and to maintain positioning as he's running deep routes as he's trying to gain positioning on jump balls or on his routes, box out cornerbacks uh, and defensive backs. I think just having that solid foundation of strength will be able to allow him to create and maintain better positioning. I tended to see him getting pushed to the sidelines a lot and just, just kind of getting bullied a little bit too much by DBs, which is a little bit of a concern, especially considering that he mostly had uh, mostly went against one double-A competition. Um, so I, I think that's something something that he can definitely work on. But the production was there as far as his, his stats at Rhode Island and his athleticism is there. So I, I am very intrigued by Isaiah Coulter. I think he would be a tremendous, tremendous candidate for that second pick of the sixth round that the Colts have um, just to add another receiver to the group that doesn't have to step in right away, but you can develop, you could watch him. You, you could, he can just watch and observe players like T.Y. Hilton and just be able to be around veterans like a Phillip Rivers and just soak up what it means to be an NFL receiver and I think he will get a lot out of just being in an NFL system and getting that coaching from receivers, uh, NFL receiver coaches and just fine-tuning those techniques to add to that already um, impressive athleticism and size that he has. So Coulter is, is someone, again, look out for, sixth, seventh round. I, I think he has a chance to be a lot better than his draft stock would suggest moving forward. And then to round out this part two of the receiver breakdown here, 
I'm going to end with another one of my favorites. And this is my dark horse candidate to be one of the best receivers in this class. Not saying he's, he's going to be the best receiver. Although, if he does end up being the best receiver, I hope I get credit for it. But I'm saying I think he will be a, a top receiver in this class, top 10 type receiver when it's all said and done uh, out of this 2020 draft class. And that is James uh, Prochet. I hope I'm saying that right, or Proch. Uh, but, but SMU receiver, 5'11", 200 pounds about. And he is a guy who, with the height, you're not really giving him credit uh, just for being a physical presence, but he's one of those guys like a Jalen Rager uh, from TCU who even at 5'11", these guys under six foot, who play like they're six foot four. Prochet, just an unbelievable athlete at that size to be able to have the type of ability to go up and get the ball against these taller DBs. One of the better players, in my opinion, kind of on that same level of a Jalen Rager to be able to go after balls at that height. It was just very impressive. It, it just jumps off the film to see him jump over guys at 5'11". Uh, it's, it's just very impressive. And that, that stood out to me right away. Something else that also stood out to me at the combine, he had 20 reps on the bench press at 225. Uh, so again, for a smaller guy, you're not expecting that type of strength. So a guy who is very physically imposing at that size is very strong for that size. And I think that will help him tremendously at the next level. And then you add all that to his production at SMU. Just eye-popping production, over 300 catches in his four years at SMU, and 39 touchdowns. Just unbelievable production. The last two seasons, he had over 100 yards in, or I'm sorry, 100 catches in each of the last two seasons at SMU, and he was the go-to guy there for most of his career. Um, so... Just to add all of that, just to see that that type of production and then to see that on film translate to someone who just can make game-changing type plays, it, it really caught my attention uh, when I started watching his film. And as I mentioned, just that, that preternatural ability, and, and thank you, James, for allowing me to use the word preternatural on this podcast, uh, but just that unique ability to be able to go up and get the ball and just plus, plus ball skills. As I mentioned, with over 300 catches, he did it in a variety of ways and just he's shifty, good stop start ability, strong upper and lower body, which would, I think will allow him to work against sh uh, safeties and linebackers in the slot at the next level. So just the pros, the strengths that stood out, very impressive, caught my attention, uh, definitely. The things that I, I think he needs to work on is just the his burst and explosiveness. Uh, he needs to work on that acceleration, creating that separation. 
I think that's what kept him from being included in the upper tiers of this draft class. I think it, that's why he's going to be in the sixth, seventh round range because he's kind of a, from what I've seen just on certain evaluators, they don't see him as a true slot and they don't see him as a true outside receiver because of his lack of acceleration. I, I'm not so I'm not so sure that I agree with him not being a slot. I, I think he is going to shine as a slot receiver at the next level. Uh, I do agree as far as just his footwork, his route running, uh, his lack of uh, game-breaking speed and separation. I, I don't think he'll be able to stick as an outside receiver, but I see him as being a very, very productive slot at the NFL level, and I think that's where he will shine. Obviously, he has to polish and work on a few things. Every receiver does. It doesn't matter how talented you are. But I think once he gets comfortable in that slot position, I think he'll he'll take that slot position and run with it because um, he, he kind of has all those characteristics that you like to see just with his ball skills, his awareness, his strength to be able to work inside. I think that all helps him out a lot when it, as he starts to make that transition. Um, so this is a guy I'm very interested to see where he goes I would be shocked if he does not get drafted I, I think someone will pick him up but again it's, it's probably going to be uh, the middle to the end of the the six rounds but another guy I think he would be a perfect Colts candidate the Colts obviously need to get a receiver in the beginning of the draft probably second or third round but I think it would be smart to double down on the receiver position because it's so deep with this draft, I think it would be very smart for the Colts to have two receivers, get a receiver earlier in the draft, and then come back around six, seven, or uh, it would be sixth round in this, in this case because they do not have a seventh round pick um, as of now, but they do have two sixth round picks. So I think someone like a Prochet, someone like a Coulter, Omar Bayless. There's these guys that will still be there six, six round that will be solid options and provide solid value for that six round pick. And I think it would just be able to add that young talent to the receiving core and just kind of revitalize that receiver position for the Colts. So those last few guys, I think would be just great candidates, kind of those low-risk, high-reward type players to, to add to the mix and to try to develop to be contributors moving forward. So part two of the receivers, hope you enjoyed it. Please give me feedback if you have any. Uh, want me to cover any any players that I missed, but I just wanted to, to go through this part two and just to kind of provide some coverage of guys that may have gotten under the radar, especially guys like a Gandy Golden or Omar Bayless, Isaiah Coulter, guys who played at smaller schools but still deserve to be considered uh, as draft picks because they had great careers. And I'm excited to see where they end up getting drafted at and who they go to and how they are able to transition at the next level. So a lot of fun breaking these guys down. Um, 
there's some great footage of these guys, highlight tapes, uh, and just some, some guys that put together some great stuff on YouTube. Uh, in particular, shout out to Just Bombs Productions. Uh, that that guy does a great job with his highlight tapes. I've, I've been watching his highlights for years, and he does a really solid job of putting highlights on film. Uh, and then just some of these other videos that just put edit all these snaps, every snap of the game, just so you can just get a see, get a chance to see these players from snap to snap, rather than just their highlights. It's great to see highlights, but it's also great to see a, a whole game and just to see uh, how they're doing even when they're not getting the ball um, and just how they're running their routes, how they're blocking, all that stuff is just great to get that overall view of a player during a game. So shout out to all those people who are making those great films, editing, putting the time in to uh, allow people like me to, to find out about some of these players. Um, but other than that, thank you again for listening. I hope to cover a few more positions before the draft. Uh, as I mentioned, the draft is still going to be scheduled for April 23rd. They're just going to do some adjustments to it and make it a more remote event uh, because of the, the coronavirus pandemic. But it still is going to be taking place April 23rd to the 25th. So I'll be trying to do a few more breakdowns like this for other positions just to give you some ideas of some of the positions that the Colts may think about going to as we get closer to this draft. So thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend coming up. Until next time, it's the Colts Convert Podcast. Have a good one.